Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hey, everyone, Madigan here. How is everyone doing today? I'll give you a few seconds to respond. All right, wonderful. Thank you for sharing with me. I just have one topic that I wanted to bring up today because I am going to be bringing a special guest into the mix at some point. But before I get into today's news topic, I want to let you all know that the first ever Mad Gabin with Madigan episode is up on Patreon at the $5 level if you're interested. I'm actually going to tag on the second part of the episode because the first part is a little personal. I get into my thoughts and feelings about the sixth anniversary of Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Yes, I get a little bit emotional. So if you want to listen to that, you are unfortunately going to have to join Patreon. And if you want even more goods from your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, you can also join the Feminist Faves level, which is $8 a month, where you get all of the Mad Gabin with Madigan stuff. You get these episodes early and ad-free. You're going to get weekly recap episodes regarding that week's full-length episode topic, and hopefully even more to come in the future. To join in on the fun, go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist or click on the link in the show notes. And if you have any questions you want to ask, if there's any advice you need, or if you have any topics that you want me to cover on Mad Gabin with Madigan, please reach out to me via email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. It's going to be so fun. All right, don't forget to listen to the clip from Mad Gabin with Madigan at the end of this episode. But until then, let's get into today's topic. At the end of last week, Max told me the story of eight NHL hockey players who had played for Canada's World Junior Team who have been charged with sexual assault from an incident in 2018. And this morning, in preparation for this episode, we watched a very well-made special on this subject from CBC News, The Fifth Estate. I got a lot of my information from that episode and also from CBC articles online. In April of 2022, a woman in her early 20s filed a lawsuit against Hockey Canada, the Canadian Hockey League, and eight unnamed CHL players, claiming that she was assaulted by a group of eight members of the 2018 Junior World Team. Police investigators in London, Ontario, said that the members of the hockey team assaulted the woman, who is identified in the paperwork as EM, in a hotel room after meeting her at a bar while in town for a team gala event. The event was for congratulating the team on winning the gold medal at the World Junior Championships several months earlier. EM said that she had met some of the team at the bar and one of the guys, we'll call him Player One, began chatting with her and buying her drinks. They bought her more and more drinks and she was eventually separated from her friend group as she became more and more intoxicated. She eventually left the bar and went to a hotel with Player One. Before engaging in any sexual activity with Player One, though, he pulled out his phone and recorded a six-second video. Player One asks from behind the camera, You're okay with this? She responds, I'm okay with this. Back at the hotel, she and Player One engaged in sexual acts in his hotel room. After they were finished, Player One made another video. 
In it, EM is saying, are you recording me? Okay, good. It was all consensual. You're so paranoid. Holy. I enjoyed it. It was fine. It was all consensual. I'm so sober. That's why I can't do this right now. I read online that this video could have possibly been taken after the assault that was to come and that she was forced to say that she was sober. Otherwise, this video is a little bit confusing and we don't have a lot of information about it yet. It certainly has not been released to the public. What we do know from EM is that once they were done with their consensual activities, Player One was on his cell phone. EM didn't know that he was texting some of his teammates, inviting them to join him. Eventually, there were eight players in the hotel room, according to EM. Over the next several hours, players one through eight engaged in numerous sexual acts with the victim. During the assault, the victim experienced a, quote, ongoing apprehension of imminent physical harm of a sexual nature, and that the action of the defendants caused terror and fear in her mind. In the claim, it stated that the woman could not give consent to any of these actions due to how intoxicated she was. And additionally, the group of eight would not let her leave the room, despite multiple attempts by the victim to flee. And I want to make a couple of notes about that because EM also noted in her police report that some of the players never even spoke directly to her. So that's another reason why she couldn't have consented to every single one of those players. But I also wanted to mention because I thought that this was a really wonderful thing that the special did. They pointed out certain things, some tropes that are used against victims of sexual assault when they come forward. And they answered the question that a lot of people probably have, which is, why didn't you just leave? Well, first of all, they explained that the hotel room was very large and that EM had claimed to the police that the door to get out of the hotel room was blocked. And on top of that, it was eight strong athletic men versus one very drunk woman. It wouldn't take much to keep her there physically. And in my experience, Fear can also make you freeze and you just want to get it over with. It's also a way to preserve your safety. I heard it explained to me in a book or on a podcast recently, and I thought this was a really good example that our ancestors, like in caveman times, a lot of times they would actually use freeze more than fight or flight. Like, let's say they saw a bear. Well, they know if they run away, they're just going to get the bear's attention and the bear is probably going to be faster than it and it'll just be killed. But then if it tries to fight the bear, it also knows it's not going to win. So its best defense is just to freeze. And I think that that instinct is really deep within all of us, for the most part, when we are in a very scary, dangerous situation. And I think particularly for women who, for the most part, do not believe that we have the ability to fight back. Some women, I know this isn't true, you do CrossFit, you're super strong, and you're like, fuck yeah, I would take this guy down. That's wonderful. But I think throughout time, women have been subjugated in such a way where it either wasn't acceptable for them to be that strong or it just wasn't common for women to be that strong. And I do think that it is still very much ingrained in women to be fearful of men and strong men in particular. And we are talking about NHL, CHL hockey players. These are big guys. She's not going to try to fight off all of these guys. She can't run away. She tried. So the best thing that she could possibly do is have some self-preservation, probably dissociate, and just try to get through it. She did say in the statement that she would try her best to retreat to the bathroom as often as she could to try to get some reprieve, but it just sounds like a living 
nightmare. Ian reported the incident to the police within days after her mother found her sobbing and breaking down in the shower. But in February of 2019, the case was closed without charges. It was discovered by journalists looking into this investigation that someone from Hockey Canada had reached out to Player One about the inquiry about him. Then, Player One found the victim on Instagram, and they began messaging. This is the text exchange between EM and Player One. Player One, did you go to the police after Saturday? EM, I talked to my mom about it and she called, I think, but I told her not to. I don't want anything bad to come of it, so I told her to stop. Player One, you said you were having fun? EM, I was really drunk, didn't feel good about it at all after, but I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble. I know I was in the wrong, too. <laughs> I was okay going home with you. It was everyone else afterwards that I wasn't expecting. I just felt like I was being made fun of and taken advantage of. Player one, I understand that you're embarrassed about what happened, but you need to talk to your mother right now and straighten things out with the police before this goes too far. I have to pause because he wrote to T-O instead of T-O-O. This is a serious matter that is misrepresenting, he misspelled misrepresenting, and could have significant implications for a lot of people, including you. That including you part seems very threatening to me. EM, what can I do to make this go away? Yeah, I understand that. I'm not trying to push this any farther. I'm sorry for any trouble it might have already caused. Player one, okay, so can you please figure out how to make this go away and contact the police? After several messages of Player One asking if she had gone to the police yet, a few hours later he wrote, I appreciate that you're, spelled Y-O-U-R instead of Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, going to put an end to this. I know this must not be easy for you to have to call the police and say this was a mistake. Have you thought about what you're going to say to them? EM, I told them I'm not going to pursue it any farther and that it was a mistake. You should be good now so hopefully nothing more comes of it. Sorry again. Player one, I appreciate you for telling the truth. Thank you. All the best. Those texts just make me so upset. They're, they are just so upsetting to read. And I'm just putting myself in her shoes because it. she just seems like she's embarrassed and doesn't want people to know what happened or doesn't know what the consequences of her speaking up will be. It's just so sad to see her be embarrassed and apologizing to the person who abused her. And it could be a number of different things. She could be trying to appease him so that he doesn't make her life more miserable by, you know, being so nice and saying, I'm so sorry and things like that. But the other option to me is so much sadder. And that option is that she actually believes that she has something to be sorry for, that she actually believes that she was in the wrong in some way or or brought this situation upon herself, which is just so unbelievably upsetting. But it reminds me of any time that you've ever said something and then you immediately just want to shove it back in your mouth because you don't want someone to react a certain way about it or you start to see the consequences of what you've said. And that is the vibe that I'm very much getting from these messages. It's so upsetting that she was pressured by her perpetrator to take away this case. And I really understand how easy it would be to be swayed by someone like this. 
As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. EM said that Hockey Canada knew all about the allegations and did nothing about them. Obviously, they did if they were the ones that reached out to the defendant to begin with to be like, hey, check on this girl, make sure she doesn't say anything. But after an invigoration of the case, in July of 2022, Hockey Canada said they would be reopening the investigation into the alleged sexual assault of EM and hired a third party to do the investigating. Now, most recently, on January 31st, the London police charged several players, including Alex Formenton, Dylan Dubé, Cal Foote, Carter Hart, and Michael McLeod. Formenton plays for the Ottawa Senators, Hart plays for the Philadelphia Flyers, Dubay plays for the Calgary Flames, and McLeod and Foote play for the New Jersey Devils. But they were all on Canada's Junior World Team in 2018. All five of these men have now been put on leave from their respected NHL teams. I am curious, though, because five have been charged, but EM stated that there were eight in the room. I'm wondering if maybe not all eight participated or if they were only able to file charges on those five. I'm not sure, but I definitely am going to keep that question in mind as this case moves forward. 
Dubay stepped away from the flames on January 21st, claiming it was due to his mental health. And Hart was granted a leave of absence from the Flyers on January 23rd. Boo. Formentin, McLeod, Foote, and Dubay deny any criminal wrongdoing, and their lawyers have come forward saying that their clients will be pleading not guilty. Hart's lawyer has confirmed the charges, but made no further comment. And this is pretty damaging for at least one hockey family that has a bit of a legacy, as Foote was born in Colorado and is the son of former NHL player and current assistant coach for the Vancouver Canucks, Adam Foote. According to a statement by Hockey Canada, the organization claimed it reported the allegations to the police and also hired a third-party firm, Hennon Hutchinson LLP, to conduct an independent investigation. Upon further inquiry in June 2022, it was reported that Hockey Canada only received one or two reports of sexual assault per year in the last five to six years. This number is most likely much higher. In a July hearing, Hockey Canada's lawyers testified that the organization's vice president of risk management contacted them first about the 2018 incident before contacting the police. Ugh. But this wouldn't be the first time something like this would happen in Canadian hockey. In 2003, an unconscious woman was assaulted on video by multiple members of the Canadian Junior World Team. Again. Halifax Regional Police started an investigation into this assault and have two named suspects. We know that the alleged incident happened when Team Canada was in Halifax in January of 2003, where the team had won the silver medal, but the names of the perpetrators have never been released. The issue with not naming these perpetrators is that they're possibly still playing in the NHL. An article from the BBC quoted a Canadian member of Parliament saying, I think it's fair to say Canadians have lost confidence in Hockey Canada. And for those of you who are not from areas where hockey is prominent, if you're not Canadian, if you're not a hockey player yourself, let me just tell you real quick how important hockey players are to the country of Canada and to Canadians as a whole. It's like how Americans feel about football players. That's how Canadians feel about their hockey players. Here, I feel like the American hockey stars are like, they're not as well known as, you know, the football players that we see on TV all the time. But in Canada, that's not really the case. And that also goes into why EM, I'm sure, felt that the easier option would be to withdraw from her claim because she's going up against a huge institution that is very beloved in Canada and I'm sure she realizes that they would have a lot of power. This is not the first story that I've told on this show involving sports and sexual assaults. This is something that happens in almost every single sport, everywhere from football to gymnastics to figure skating to swimming to hockey. It is rampant. In sports. And that's why I think it is so important to talk about. But I think that in the context of this being a Canadian story, it's also really important to point out the importance that the sport of hockey has in that country and how this really is a really red mark on their history in a way due to these hockey teams being very successful in their sport and now they are just kind of ruining not just kind of they are ruining their reputation and there's a lot of other investigations going on right now into hockey canada with their spending 
there has been some investigation into whether or not they are paying people off for some of these sexual assault claims and pushing them under the table, so on and so forth. There's a lot more to the story. I highly recommend watching that CBC documentary with The Fifth Estate. You can find it on YouTube. It goes way more in depth into everything and it's very, very well made. So if you have an interest in this story and you want to know more, that's where you can go. All right, that is everything that I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening to another mini episode. And don't forget to check out a brand new episode and a brand new series on Patreon called Mad Gabin with Madigan. I give you the lowdown on the last six years of your angry neighborhood feminist. Can you even believe it? And I answer Google's most asked questions about feminism. You can check out that clip in just a minute after this episode is completed. Join me at patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist or click on the link in the bio and choose a tier that's right for you. And don't forget to email me any questions or advice that you may need by sending me a message at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or a DM on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. And if you want to support the show even more, you can go to that cute little purple Apple podcast app on your iPhone, search for your angry neighborhood feminist and leave a five star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. I literally haven't had a new review in months. So whoever does this next one is going to become my new favorite person. (laughs) And if you like to listen on Spotify as well, I'm not going to be mad at you if you want to rate me over there too. Okay, I think that's all I have to bug you about. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. So I went online and I googled the most asked questions about feminists. And these are the top googled questions. The first one is, why are feminists so angry? This is perfect. (laughs) The name of the show is Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Well, we're angry because we're paying attention. We see the injustices in the world around us and we want to make a difference. And we see the people in charge who could actually be doing something, doing nothing about it. And that's fucking infuriating. And we're angry because we've been treated as the lesser gender for all of time. (laughs) That's going to piss people off. The second question is, of course, do feminists hate men? Some do. Some do. And you know what? I hate some men. I truly, truly do. But as a whole, no. We hate the patriarchy. We hate the system that men have created. It is not about the individual male sex. What's that song from Mary Poppins? Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. I'm marrying a man. I'm attracted to a man. Many feminists are heterosexual or find themselves attracted to men. We just gotta find the good ones. You know, it's just tough. But yeah, I mean... I think that there are definitely feminists out there. You know, we've talked about Shulamith Firestone on this show. I always think of her when I think of the really radical, almost misandrist type feminist. And she, God, such a fucking badass. I love her. But yeah, some level of maybe not hatred, but anger, distrust, dislike. That's, I mean, that's par for the course when you treat people badly, you know? Why do feminists not shave? 
Well, I I do shave. I don't shave super often, but I do shave. And honestly, I think for me, it's partially aesthetic and it's partially functional because I used to really not shave my armpits very much. I was in a production of hair like eight years ago and during the rehearsal process and the shows we all decided that we weren't going to get haircuts we weren't going to shave so all the guys had really long beards and probably really long everything else and so did the women minus the beards and I didn't shave for over three months so I kind of got used to the longer leg hair and the longer armpit hair but I don't know I feel like I've become a sweatier person (laughs) over the last few years and when I have armpit hair I feel like it just like grabs onto the sweat stink more and I'm really picky about my deodorants because I don't like the way it makes my armpits feel so a lot of times I'll just actually rewash my pits or I'll use like baby wipes or something instead of using deodorant and I want to make sure that I smell nice and I'm not offending people so that's why I shave my pits now. And my leg hair, I feel like I do it like once a month and then in the summer, probably every other week or so. And I actually started to reframe my thinking on leg hair when I was nannying for Jamie King because in my mind still, I mean, now she's looking a little rough, but I thought she was beautiful. She's a model. And sometimes she would go out in like a little mini dress and she'd have her legs up and I would see long leg hair. And I'm like, well, fuck it. If she can go out in public like that, why can't I? What's the big deal? And honestly, unless people are looking really close to your legs, they can't tell. But I also really love the way that shaved legs feels. I really just love the like slipperiness and all of that. But it isn't it is important, I think, to acknowledge why women feel the need to shave their bodies. And you can still make your own decision as to whether or not you want to do it. But I, I don't know. I just think it's good to always be conscious and think about, well, men don't have to do this. Why do we do this? And then as long as you've kind of thought about it you know just do whatever you want to do and I think with pubic hair actually it's really really interesting because women are kind of just expected to look like they did before puberty which is such a kind of gross concept yet it's been really ingrained in our society at least in this generation that a completely shaved hoo-ha is the way to go but then again you know back in the 70s the bush was all the rage so maybe the bush is going to come back eventually I'm kind of somewhere in between not to get too personal with you all but like I don't feel the need to completely be hairless down there because it honestly reminds me of my childhood hamster whenever I do that but like you know I'll clean it up like if I want to wear a swimsuit I I don't want to be I don't want to be bushing out I'll trim you know keep keep it maintained but I'm not gonna like completely you know de-hair myself every single time I get in the shower I don't think it's that important Max doesn't give a fuck whatever does a feminist have to be female no (laughs) Obviously, no. And I would prefer if there were more feminists that weren't female because feminism is simply just the idea that all genders should be created equally if you want to really just boil it down. And I think that that's something that everyone should be able to get on board with. It's not just for women, but because it has femme in it, it does sound to most people like it is only meant for the female sex. And that is not correct. Do feminists get married? 
yes, I'm living proof of it. (laughs) We do get married. And it's funny because like, I feel like so many people have more radical ideas of feminists. They think of like second wave on, you know, the 70s free love feminists and then the 90s punk feminists. And you forget about the earliest feminists who were actually quite modest and lived quite heteronormative lives, you know, Susan B. Anthony, so on and so forth. They all were married and had kids. And but then they also had these, you know, political careers on the side. And that's the beauty of feminism, that you can be a mother and a wife and take care of the house if you want to, or you can have a job or you can do both. It's all about choice. And I think what ties into that too, because I've been asked this question a lot, is can a feminist take their spouse's last name? And I have a, I think a very unique perspective on that simply because I don't want the last name that I was born with specifically because it does tie me to a man that I have a lot of negative feelings for I don't want to be tied to my dad anymore so for me choosing to take Max's last name which is Ram by the way that's my choice that's something that I'm really excited about to personally do for me and I really really love his last name I think Madigan Ram sounds great and I think that that is the most feminist thing you can do I don't want to feel like I'm forced to keep my dad's last name because I'm a feminist that's ridiculous what do feminists believe in Well, that would be tough to put in a nutshell, but generally feminists believe in equality for all genders. But I personally and for this show really think that that needs to be broadened into not just gender issues, but all human issues. And that's what I really try to focus on on this show is not just take a very narrow minded view of what feminism is supposed to be, but putting a feminist perspective on different things in life and having it really be about being empathetic and about fighting for the little guy and standing up for other people and having the education behind your words enough to be able to help other people. To me, that's what feminism truly truly is it's like we're all these little superheroes and we can just take the knowledge that we've learned from this subject and attach it to so many different things and then the last question was will feminism hurt your career well I'm building a career on it so hopefully not but I think that back in the day yeah like people didn't want to say they were feminists or use the word feminism because it could have been very very polarizing and it is still very polarizing to this day a lot of times when I meet new people and they ask me what my show is called I kind of take a second to be like okay well I gotta be honest but you don't know what their reaction is gonna be and sometimes it's it's positive and I get a fist bump and sometimes I get an art I get into arguments with people you just never really know what people's reaction is going to be to it especially because people have such a narrow and incorrect view of what feminism actually is but no I don't think in 2024 it should hurt your career but then again I'm thinking in my little Los Angeles bubble maybe in some other places it definitely would I can imagine that living in red states or living in other countries it could be a little bit of a different game but you know I think that we should always decide to 
share with other people whatever we feel comfortable. For example, I take care of a little girl whose parents are on the right, and so are her grandparents. I've talked about them on this show a little bit. And her parents definitely know what my show is. I think that they're actually kind of like trying to hide a little bit of their right-wingism sometimes when I'm around. But the grandparents certainly do not. And it's just, I don't really talk about it. I don't bring it up. I choose not to correct them when I'm working. Not that I've really heard anything that's terrible come out of their mouths. There are certain things that I would always There are certain things that I will always stand up for and say something if I witnessed it, especially if it was in front of the child that I take care of because I don't think it's okay to be hateful. But I've never been in that situation. So I think it's always good to just assess where you're at, who you're working for, who you're speaking to, and what you feel comfortable sharing with them. All right, those were all of the questions. So you've heard of Florida man, but what about Florida chupacabra? That's right, the urban legend is real and lurking in the Everglades in the new horror comedy show from Realm, Low Life. Low Life follows a chupacabra exterminator in South Florida who becomes unlikely allies with a marine biology student when a standard house call goes horribly wrong. It looks like there's a new monster in their midst, but there's more than one secret hiding in the swamp. Low Life is a funny, twisty mystery that also has some pretty scathing commentary on corporate elitism and eco-fascism. So you're in for a wild ride. And some razor-toothed chupacabras. Listen and subscribe to Low Life wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at realm.fm.